maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on sipping from soup spoons, getting a gift for a friend's generosity, a reflection about being asked to host a baby shower last minute, and how to handle receiving holiday cards for a deceased parent. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on holiday invitation etiquette. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, your extra question of the week is about asking friends about wedding plans without fishing for an invitation. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. We had something that you said that was funny to start the show off with, and now I don't remember what it was. The turkey traffic jam? The turkey traffic jam! Oh my gosh! Only on Crossed Hill, Pollander Road on Crossed Hill, like... Did you really have a turkey traffic jam this morning? I had to bring my car to a full stop, so I didn't <laughs> run over the turkeys, yes. And these aren't wild turkeys. We definitely have a couple of resident, I don't know if it's a flock of wild turkeys, what a group of wild turkeys is, but uh, there are a couple of groups of wild turkeys. These were not them. These are some domesticated turkeys. They look like you would imagine Thanksgiving majestic turkeys to look. They're big and fat because we're still recording this before Thanksgiving. the Thanksgiving holiday. They're probably still alive. They, they wander onto the road and they're, I think, used to people feeding them out the car windows because it seems like as you slow down, they try to approach the driver's side door. Maybe it's just that they see people and they think that's where food comes from. But <laughs> they're definitely not scared of cars. It's and, like Park Safari Vermont version. You know, thank you for taking me back to my childhood. It's very much like Park Safari, Vermont version. Well, that's what's happening in Vermont today. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I, I'm already sympathizing into the future with people that are These in turkeys? that. No, oh, no sorry. <laughs> I'm thinking about the post-Thanksgiving, I wouldn't call it letdown, but the, 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 the post-holiday weekend week. Given our name, that just sounds really funny. The post-Thanksgiving letdown. <laughs> the year the posts failed at Thanksgiving entertaining. <laughs> Well, I am not worried about failure at all because the reason I'm feeling almost post-Thanksgiving is last weekend I had two Friendsgivings. You did, and they sounded so like the turkeys, majestic. <laughs> they snuck up on me. Pooja had planned both of these, and one was with a group of her college friends. Okay. We drove to visit, and I got ambushed by a full Thanksgiving meal. We brought— Hold on, wait a second. You got invited to a Friendsgiving. What were you expecting they were going to serve? Just something more haphazard. I, I didn't think it was going to be a coordinated Dan, you're turkey gravy, multi-tatoes, beef. We're adult entertaining now, cuz. We're adult entertaining. And it still surprises me sometimes. <laughs> That's awesome. So what was your favorite dish from the meal? Wait, there were two meals. What were your favorite dishes from the meal? So, so the first one, there was a cornbread that oh. was delicious or really? cheesy and had like little shavings of jalapeno in it. Ooh. Yeah, really good. And then <laughs> two stuffings, one sausage, one without, and 
I'm a big stuffing fan. The sausage stuffing was awesome. That's, I'm a big stuffing fan, too. That's what I'm looking forward to and contributing to my Thanksgiving next week. Potatoes and gravies and jams and beans. And it wasn't a turkey. That was a CSA chicken. Okay. But the yeah, whole thing was Something had to be different, farmed. right? Then the desserts came and it was pumpkin pies and crisps. And I, I mean. Oh, my goodness. I know. So I know. are you excited for the Thanksgiving meal that has now occurred to our listeners? But, like, do you think by Thursday you're going to be, like, thanksgiving out? No. <laughs> Are you looking forward to leftovers this week? I, I, yes, everyday lunch. Because then the second Friendsgiving was a big pot roast. Oh, roast yum. beef, stewed vegetables, taters, gravy. That one we did with Brussels sprouts for this the green. This was the one that, that your friend commented on that you're, you're, you've upped your cooking game. That Dan now knows how to flavor and season things to a degree that's impressive. Yes, we, we, <laughs> we hosted this one and having just done this very turkey dinner, wanted to go a slightly different direction. And those are the leftovers I'm really working on now. But, you know, I'm looking forward to turning this Thanksgiving holiday into a week of rolling overeating. <laughs> well, like our listeners, I love living vicariously through your life. It is way more entertaining than me and my couch and Netflix. But I'm wondering if you and I should live vicariously through our listeners and get to some of these questions that they have. Let's do it. Awesome. Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom, and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Sustaining members, remember to put sustaining member in your subject line. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. 
Our first question is titled Soup Sipping Sandy, which I like very much. <laughs> Dear Lizzie and Dan, I have a question about the proper use of a soup spoon. I read somewhere long ago that the correct way to drink soup from a soup spoon is to sip it from the side of the utensil. That technique works well for broth-based soups, but I find it tricky with cream soups. The thicker the soup, the more difficult it is. And stews with large pieces of solid food present a similar dilemma. My natural inclination is to put the entire bowl of the spoon into my mouth as I would when eating yogurt with a teaspoon. However, depending on the size and shape of the spoon, this can feel like putting a serving spoon in my mouth, not particularly graceful. When I bought my first set of silverware as a young woman, the soup spoons had a long, deep, oval bowl and were almost impossible to use, a key factor in my decision to replace this set years later when I could afford to do so. My question is, is it wrong to drink soup or stew from the end of the utensil in these circumstances, or is there a better alternative? Thank you for helping me navigate this point of etiquette. I enjoy your show and have been listening since your days on the late Lamented Dinner Party download. Yours truly, Soup Sipping Sandy. Soup Sipping Sandy, this question is the kind of question that makes me love dining etiquette. <laughs> it's delicious. It, it's, and it seems simple, but like anything, once you start to really investigate it and parse it, there's a whole world to explore here from the, the history of the soup spoon, which comes from the ladle and you used to pour off the side of a ladle. So that's kind of the historical origins of that utensil that we're talking about. So you are correct in identifying that usually you eat off the side of a spoon. It's not something that I think most people would think about. It's like tying your shoes. You don't sit there and say to yourself, how do I pick it up? How do I – what do I cross over? You just tie your shoes. Yeah. It becomes automatic. Yeah. And this Spoon process – is like one of the first things we used to learn to eat with, you know? But if you were to fly it into your mouth with that handle perpendicular to your face, <laughs> it, it, think about it. It would look kind of strange. It looks almost childish, like that airplane entering the hangar. And yeah. as an adult – it's that appearance of strangeness when eating that oftentimes we're just trying to avoid when we're talking about table manners, etiquette, or social convention, where, wherever it comes from. Totally. And I hear that for, like, for bras. But this, there is this question of, A, when you get soup spoons that are very, very large or when you've got, like we were saying, the thickier, the chunkier kind of soups and you can't just kind of sip a chunk of carrot into your mouth. What do you do? So this was the part of the question that really got me thinking. Uh -huh. I was thinking about not just thicker soups, like these creamier soups or, say, a squash soup. You but could still s kind of sip those from the side decently. Yeah, but don't suck, don't slurp. It, it starts to become a little tricky to not be pouring across a gap. You're not holding the spoon <laughs> up in the air away from your mouth. So there is some crossover. You're, you're touching that spoon to your lips. And I'm thinking if there are chunks, I'm imagining little pieces of vegetable, potato, meat in the soup itself, you're, you're going to close your mouth around those little chunks. So a part kind of, of like the spoon. Kind of pull them off the Exactly. Spoon. Yeah. There's, there's a part of the spoon that goes into your mouth. I like the acknowledgement that not all soup spoons are created equal. The, the bigger the spoon, the less possible it's going to be to put more of that spoon into your mouth, the, the more obvious it's going to be that the point isn't to put that whole spoon into <laughs> your mouth. But I also like slightly smaller soup spoons because I find it easier to navigate that 
percentage of the spoon that so goes into your mouth. So you might only get like one piece of, of meat on the soup spoon with, with some of the stew, but you're getting the whole thing in your mouth because you're using a teaspoon-sized spoon as opposed to the soup spoon-sized spoon. A slightly smaller soup spoon. Exactly. You heard it here. Dan Posenning, willing to use the wrong utensil just for comfort. No, I'm just teasing. But I hear what you're saying. Sometimes it can be easier and you might make that decision when you're not serving a formal dinner. Absolutely. And if you've got one of those bigger spoons that lets you sort of scoop more, I think then it becomes easier to use that convention where you're almost kind of pouring out of the spoon into your mouth. But you don't actually do that. You do like your your lips are rested against the spoon. You're tilting the spoon a little bit. Then you are kind of slurp. I don't want to say slurping, but you are kind of... And and in, but you don't want to make any noise. This is a delicate thing, but this also is—it's something we do. Like you said originally, we do every day. You could overthink this one and really get awkward really quickly. When you do end up with that bigger bold spoon, and you do have a chunky stew or something like that, and you're pulling it up to your mouth, I say go for kind of that half bite. If they're more finely chopped up, maybe one or two, you don't want to look as though you're um, spitting anything back out onto the spoon just by simply kind of removing not all of what's in the spoon. So practice with a mirror. This is one of those great times to practice with a mirror and see what it looks like, see what's comfortable for you. So give us some of the classic soup spoon etiquettes just so that we cover our bases before we leave this question I think we talked about most of them, which is that you scoop away from you when you go to build your build your spoonful that you're going to take out of the bowl. You don't want that heaping pile. We're already worried about getting this into our mouth because the spoon's so big. You do not lower your head to the plate. This is not a bow down to the bowl type of situation. You instead lift the spoon to your mouth. You sip from the side of the spoon. You try not to actually tip the spoon, which I gave false advice of earlier, but, you know, it's, it's a light combination of the two, but it isn't a full draining of the spoon. (laughs) You would never put the entire spoon into your mouth, though you might put a little bit from the end in to get one of those bites or chunks that we were talking about. You definitely sip. You do not slurp. You sip your soup. You do not slurp your soup. Um, You really want to try to eat it without noise. Dan, anything else? Did I miss anything in that kind of laundry list? The only thing I'm thinking of is if your father were here, he would say, don't lose that last delicious bite of soup because you're afraid to tip your soup bowl. Just remember to tip it away from yourself. I also forgot your wonderful line of drip away. If there is a a drop, you know, if the liquid is dripping off the bottom of the bowl of the spoon, then you just use the far away edge and you let that drop fall into the bowl by just going against the inside edge of that bowl. Soup Sipping Sandy, thank you for this opportunity to revisit soup and soup spoons and all of the delicious details betwixt a soup bowl and a lip. Now that the soup is served, Betty sees that the crackers are passed. Floyd passes the crackers to Dorothea before he helps himself. What about that? Our next question is titled Muchas Gracias. We are staying at our friend's rental condo in Mexico for a wedding we are attending for five nights, and the friend is not asking for any compensation, which is so generous. What's an appropriate way to thank our friend? 
this is so generous. <laughs> it's, and it's good for you to think of this. There are lots of ways that you could thank your friend. You could do a gift certificate to one or two of their favorite restaurants uh, for when they visit this town in Mexico that they have a house in. If they don't actually go to their rental unit very often, you might consider doing a gift certificate to some of their, like, one or two of their favorite restaurants in their hometown. Often you do, like, a gift for the rental house itself, something to make it nicer, um, maybe something that they didn't have, although you always want to be a little careful with fill-in-the-gap presents. Sometimes they're really thoughtful. Sometimes they can come across as, oh, you thought we didn't have that, huh? (laughs) Or if they're home decor items. Risky. Decorating someone else's home can be tricky, but sometimes there's something that's a really good idea and it done well. This is one of my favorite things. I think that no matter what gift you end up getting, one of the things I think of in a situation like this is leave the place better than you found it. It's that kind of really when someone's gifting something they typically make money off of to you, they're saying, you know, like here, no, don't worry about paying us. Just go stay here. We're happy to let you have it. That's when you want to make sure that you are leaving no trace of your stay, that it is just immaculate, that even when the house cleaner comes in, in between visits, he says, wow, the place looks great. You really want to do your best to not um, overtake on any of their stock of the things that they stock up on the house with. You really want to make sure that you're kind of dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's uh, for this particular house guest stay. I'm also thinking about the way you thank with your interaction, Hmm. that during the stay, I think it can oftentimes be nice just to call and check in. We arrived safely. The place looks great. Thank you so much. Just a a little check-in call to let someone know it's going well, how much you appreciate it. If there are any questions, oh, I'm wondering about where to deliver trash or where to put trash. or Oftentimes that's been covered or maybe there's information that's available that you can find yourself. But a little check-in call both to say thanks and get up to speed is a nice thing to think about. And then Absolutely, you want to follow up with a handwritten note. You want to be sure that you express your thanks in the most personal and uh, significant way possible. And the follow-up phone call is great, but definitely putting pen to paper and getting that note in the mail is a great way to tell someone you really appreciated what they did for you. Anonymous, we hope you have a great trip and that the wedding is a blast and that you feel completely confident about leaving a gift for this wonderful stay. Why should I worry about being thoughtful? What will it get me? In this world, it's every man for himself. Is there some particular method of being thoughtful that works every time? Do you want more Dan Post sending in your life? Are you always bummed when our show isn't all business questions all the time? Would you like to attend one of Dan's signature business etiquette seminars from the comfort of your home on your schedule? Now you can. We partnered with CreativeLive.com to deliver almost eight hours of our Emily Post Business Etiquette Seminar Series online. It's super easy to get started, and you can take the program at your leisure. But we know you'll devour it in only one sitting. Just go to emilypost.com slash online seminar and start learning from Dan in minutes. The best part is Awesome Etiquette fans can enter the promo code Awesome Etiquette 10 to receive 10% off your first class. Limit one per customer and the discount is only available on one item per cart. And now back to our show. 
Our third question this week. Surprise, you're hosting. Just recently started your podcast and love it. I had a situation that happened a few months ago that I wanted advice on. I have a good friend who is wealthy. Well, wealthier than I. We both have daughters the same age, around two, that often play together. She became pregnant with her second child. She found three non-mom friends that were going to host her shower. It's hard to do with a toddler. Two weeks before the date, they all backed out on her, and she asked me to do it, and I had trouble saying no, so I said I would help. She found me two of her friends who would be willing to also help, and I tried to reach out to those two to help, but they didn't reply at all. Eventually, I did find one other friend to help. I asked if there was a budget because I didn't budget for this, and her response was, I don't know, for my first shower, my friends just did it. Since it was so last minute, I assumed there was some sort of plan, but there wasn't. She then offered to pay for decorations because she could tell there was some awkwardness. I scrambled and came up with something, and then she ended up having an emergency C-section the morning of the date, so the entire thing was canceled. Our friendship is fine now, but looking back, I'm not sure if I handled it correctly, and I have trouble saying no. Thoughts? This is a tough one. I have a number of thoughts about this question. There's a bit of an etiquette collision going on here. Yes, for sure. My first thought is about asking someone to throw a party for you. It's a bit inappropriate in some ways. It puts them in a very awkward position of having to say yes or no. And that, oh, man. And they're hearing about it from a bummer of a situation of it's getting canceled. Now, can you throw the shower for me? What we really wanted was for the three hosts who canceled to have found someone else who could host that shower appropriately or talked with the with the honoree about who would be an appropriate host and then reach out and ask and that sort of thing. Even with the pressure that that kind of ask puts on someone, it is okay to say no. And I think that should be a baseline part of the answer here. Yeah. You can be honest about your reasons for saying no. You can say, I just don't have the time to do this right now. I, I can barely get myself to and from daycare right now. You can be honest about what you can afford. Mm-hmm. It's okay both to say no and to offer explanation or just to politely decline and say, no, it's just not possible for me to do that. E- either of those options is okay depending on how comfortable you are sharing those reasons. You can soften the blow by validating how disappointing or how frustrating the situation that this uh, mom-to-be has been put in. You know, something like, oh, Deirdre, I'm so sorry to hear that. It's so disappointing. Hopefully another shower can happen since the timing and organization of this one didn't. You're not offering, but you're saying, you know, baby showers sometimes happen after the baby's born. Like there's, there is a way for this to turn out well. It doesn't have to be an immediate fix for the specific date, the specific time. If you wanted to give it a try, and I appreciate that impulse to help here also, even if it is a little awkward or is a little difficult, you might have those etiquette scales in your mind weighing the equation and say, you know, the difficulty on me frankly, is less than what I'm sure you're feeling in terms of the disappointment. Mm -hmm. And I'm willing to to extend myself a little bit. Budget and fun don't have to be matched. You don't have to spend more to have more fun. There are ways to have showers and have parties that are less expensive, but still strike that tone that's so important of making someone feel showered with love and affection as well as gifts at a really special and important time in their life. 
It can be hard in the moment to think about what you're saying yes to. So a good back pocket answer is always, well, I might be able to help. Let me think about it and I'll give you a call tomorrow or in the next couple days. It gives you a chance to think about what you might be willing to commit to. I'm thinking you might have been able to say to your friend something like, you know, I could put together a small afternoon tea, you know, just cookies and tea for the guests that we're supposed to come um, at my house next Saturday, if that works for you. Or, But offer, paint the picture, figure out what you will, would be willing to contribute and offer to do and take on, and then suggest that. Because the other person can always say, oh, thank you for the offer. I think I'm going to... Try to make the other party happen still. We'll find a way. Or, oh, it seems too complicated. Let's just wait until after the baby. Something It gives something to respond to, but it also puts you in control. And I think that the feeling that you get when you just say yes and then kind of say, so what was the party supposed to be, is that you really are taking on someone else's plan, someone else's budget, someone else's idea. And that can be really difficult. I'm liking your sample scripts. They're helping me sort of get some clarity in this etiquette collision. The final part of this question that I think is worth addressing is, do you accept that offer to pay for some decorations? And I think it's okay to, even if you haven't completely accepted whatever that previous plan, whatever version of the party Mm -hmm. predated your participation. If someone's offered to help out with something like that, I think it's okay to say yes. I'm even feeling some good etiquette in the background here of someone who's maybe aware that they shouldn't be hosting a shower for themselves, Mm -hmm. but also doesn't want to entirely put that burden on someone else, maybe recognizes that this was a tough ask and is trying to figure out a way to mitigate that, make it better, contribute in a way that's appropriate. And I think it's okay to accept that support because in some ways it's accepting her good etiquette attempt. I think in this situation, what's making that difficult is that it didn't come as an offer from the honoree. It came as a response to our question asker saying, well, is there a budget for this? And that's actually the one thing I do want to get at, because this is a self-reflective question. This is someone saying this happened a while ago. Everything's fine between us. But looking back, I'm curious. And the one point that I think could have been done a little bit better is that when you take on a party, you really are taking on the hosting responsibilities. And it's one thing if the party is completely ready to go and all of a sudden the day of or a week before the host learns they've got to fly out of town for something. And they say, listen, I've got the decorations. I've got the cakes ordered. I've got the everything, the guest list. Like all you have to do is just host it at my house or host it at your house now. That's one thing. Um, But I think it really sounds like the three people who offered to do the shower have completely messed this up. They've not planned anything. They've decided to bail out at the last minute. And this really is kind of being dropped on you from scratch. And that's just the one place where when you're listening to someone coming at you with an emergency ask, try to get a sense of of where was that other party? Because it's very unlikely in this particular case that there was going to have been anything to pass on to the new host. And I think that I just feel badly for our listener. I think you were put in a really tough situation. And I feel badly for the mom who had three people bail on her. I think that's really, really tough. But good for you to look back on a situation and think, what could I have done differently? Or you know, what could I do should I be ever a different player in this type of situation? Now, let's think back. What made this party such a good one? What do we want to do next time? 
If you are going to give a party, plan that party around a purpose. Choose your guests carefully. Our next question is about holiday cards for the deceased, and it's a tough one. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I love your show. It keeps me company on the drive to work every week. I've been listening for a while, but I've not heard this topic directly addressed. The leaves have fallen and there's snow in the mountains, which means we're about a month out from the first holiday cards arriving. Holiday, if you would, as I am currently slated to send out as many Yule and Hanukkah cards as Christmas cards. They're a great tradition and a good way to reach out and touch people you've not talked to all year. However, aside from being late Gen X and thus generally allergic to writing letters, I have another complication this year. Dad died a few months ago, and he was the primary recipient of most of the holiday cards. We shared a mailing address. While most local folks know that he has passed, I'm certain I'm going to get letters from folks who didn't. I need scripts. While the most directly honest option would be to write return to sender, recipient deceased on the envelope, that really does not pass the courtesy or respect sniff test. What thoughts would you share as to how I delicately break this news? Is it acceptable to rip the bandage off when replying by saying, I'm sorry to inform you, but dad passed earlier this year? And for the people who corresponded with him and mom that I don't particularly know, is there any polite way to say, you don't have to mail me a card next year, especially since I'm going to start taking the advice on your site and start sending out digital cards? Help. Best. Christopher. Christopher, we're so sorry to hear about the loss of your father, and it can both be a comfort to hear from people reaching out to him. It can also be difficult, and it can also be daunting to think about sending them a letter back that lets them know this sad news that your dad has passed. And I think that you are absolutely right that just a re return to sender, um, recipient deceased is not the way to go. And I, I applaud you for, for thinking a step further than that. You could easily write back something, um, and you probably probably want to have some kind of a, a, a sample script that you'll use each time because it'll make it easier on you. But where you can write a reply that just simply says, you know, thank you so much for your beautiful Christmas card. I am so sorry to inform you during this typically happy time of year that my father did pass in and you can list the month or even the date. But we're so grateful for his friends and family who think of him and thank you for thinking of him this holiday season. And that's all. Don't worry about sending, you know, don't send another one next year. They either will or they won't. It might be just a card for the family or they might, you know, choose not to send something. You're right. But it's fine. Um, and I think that sending that reply is probably the best way to get the word out to these particular folks. Lizzie Post, I like that sample script. It covers the basics, but it also fleshes out the information, just the I'm sorry and this is the news with an acknowledgement of the season, an acknowledgement that... You appreciate them thinking about your father. If there is some personal connection that you have to the person who's sending, it's okay to mention that also. It's so nice to hear from you. It's really important that you sign your name to it. You want to be sure that someone knows this reply is coming from you, that you avoid any chance that there's some impression that the person who's deceased is sending the reply. And that's going to be pretty clear when you sign it yourself. It's not something that you need to worry about. But you are responding to someone else's mail. And I can hear that awareness in the way that you 
looked at the possibility of maybe just returning the envelope unopened. People hear about someone who's passed away in different ways. News spreads in different ways. Oftentimes it's unexpected. And if there's an announcement or an obituary in a local paper, sometimes that news doesn't travel as far as quickly. And this is not an uncommon situation that it would be at these sort of markers in a year where people stay in touch that someone finds out. So in some ways, you're playing an important role here. And I think that you're really wise to be thinking about it ahead of time. We hope that that answer helps and that you have a lot of good family and friends with you this holiday season. Don't you think that's a good way to help your father? That's mighty good. Wouldn't you like to do things for your parents the way Tommy does? Thank you for your questions, and please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com, or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also leave your comment or question on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette in your post so that we know you want your question or feedback on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And our first piece of feedback is on episode 218. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I have feedback for the listener in episode number 218, who asked for advice regarding recommendation letters. Your advice was spot on, but having been through this process myself and seeing it from both sides, I wanted to add two key points that will be helpful to both the professor and to the applicant. One, It is crucial to keep your follow-up emails short, two to three sentences max. Don't worry about coming across as blunt. They are extremely busy, will appreciate your concise message, and are much more likely to reply to a short, focused email than a long one. Two, give them a clear deadline and an action item that they need to do. If they don't see these things, they will likely skip your email. I suggest this script. Sent as a reply to your initial query so they can see the email chain. Do remember to update the subject line as well. Email begins. Dear Professor X, just a kind reminder about my recommendation letter request. Could you please let me know by Friday, sample date, if you are able to write a letter for me? Thank you, your name. Truly, that's all. Don't spend time on flowery thank yous or intro sentences. They are simply too busy to read them. Keep it short and sweet and you'll get much further. Hope that helps. What I like about Petra's suggestion is that she's saying, keep it short and sweet. I probably wouldn't go so far as to suggest blunt. I would suggest some niceties, but I think it doesn't need to be just a one-liner with nothing. I like that we're still doing, you know, dear professor and then thank you and signing your name. But it doesn't have to be overly flowerly, overly aware of their time and condition. But I do think a little bit of that around just, you know, the, the actual ask is important. I had a very similar reply. I would give the thank you the weight it deserves as a full sentence. Say thank you so much for your consideration, your time, Mm -hmm. and then finish with a closing like best or regards or sincerely followed by your name. But I thought that was key advice and I loved, loved, loved the reminder to put in the deadline and what the action item that you needed from them is... You don't make them go read the other email. Just keep, keep it all there as concise as possible. Absolutely. Thanks for that feedback, Petra. 
And from episode 211, Interrupting Who, we had a question about interrupting, and Haley wrote in with a self-reflection. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm listening to the episode about interrupting at work and cracking up at my desk. I am so guilty of this, especially with the people close to me. I used to finish my partner's sentences all the time for no reason, just filling in the point he was about to make. Luckily, this was usually at home while he was telling me about his day or something to that effect, not to the extent of interrupting his stories at parties or anything. I do get the feeling I've been doing this to other people as well. He was so sweet about pointing it out to me, and I've been so much more conscious of being a good, patient listener, not just in our relationship, but with my friends, coworkers, and people I'm just meeting. I just wanted to say I appreciate this question and your advice that followed, and give my partner a little shout-out for helping me to be a better conversationalist all around. Thanks. Love the show. Haley. Haley, this almost made it into the etiquette salute bin. <laughs> it did. <laughs> I just want to say thank you to all those people in our lives who know us maybe better than we know ourselves and help us to be a little bit better. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript is about holiday invitations. Holiday parties are a bit more special than our everyday dinner parties, but less special sometimes than guest of honor focus parties like anniversary parties, birthday parties, or retirement parties. And, you know, it it's kind of like this mix. It's like they're a little dressier sometimes. They're just or a little more focused on frivolity, but it's it's a different kind of party. And because the holidays are such a short season, it can feel very long when you start seeing like holiday candy showing up at you know the start of school in the grocery aisle but really we're talking about you know like a 6 7 almost 8 week period here for holiday gatherings when you think about starting just before Thanksgiving with Friendsgivings and going all the way through New Year's Day when everyone is trying to entertain and some people have annual parties and other people would like to start annual parties and some people just have to go to a lot of parties, it can be a lot. And all of a sudden, it's not just your weekends that are taken up, but there's like Tuesday and Wednesday are becoming part holiday party days, which is starting to be a little crazy. Social circles grow a little bit. Maybe there's work parties. Maybe there's parties with family that are a little more extended than the family you interact exactly. with regularly. It's a lot. How do you get everyone together? you got to start parties and entertaining during the holiday season off with the right foot, and that starts with a good invitation. Now, some invitations probably should have already gone out at this point, but we're going to focus on what we can do now. So, Dan, I figured we'd go through some of the big sections of invitations and just talk about how they can affect you at the holiday time. So we're going to talk about the method of the invitation, the information conveyed, organizing RSVPs, and invitation reminders. That's a lot to cover. I know. So let's get going. Method of invitation. Will you please list out for us all the different methods that you could use? Invitations come in so many forms. There is paper. There is the phone call. There is the email. 
There's the social media invitation. There's the text invitation. There's even the casual in-person invitation. <laughs> and yes, these are all types of invitations. The medium is part of the message. Yep. It starts to set the tone for the party or the event that you're going to have. You want to think about it. You want to make that part of the choice that you're making about an invitation. Choosing that method is really, really important. And one of the things to consider when you're choosing the method is how far away is that party in time? And also, how do you want to deal with getting RSVPs back? It's something that you do want to think about. A lot of people think, oh, I'll just fire off a quick text message. And then they forget that they've now created a 27-person group and they're getting a million and one text messages back. So take time when you're planning your party to consider what's going to be the most effective method of communication for the people that you're sending the invitations to and for you in terms of both getting them out the door and dealing with the responses that come back to you. Next up, information conveyed. No matter what form that invitation takes, you're going to need to get some important points across to your potential (laughs) guests. What are those points? Those points are... Who's doing the inviting and who is being invited? The date and time of the event, also where it's being located. You want to talk about things to note. If this is um, a party that is going to be that ugly sweater party, that is something you can convey on the invitation. If it's going to be a potluck, you want to invite by saying something like, come to a potluck. You want to make sure that there's RSVP, not just a date to RSVP by, but a method that you would prefer. If this is an emailed invitation, but you want text messages coming in, you need to make that clear by including your phone number and say, please RSVP via text message too, and then put the phone number and the date you want the answers by. Sample, Dan and Pooja are invited to join Brian and Allie December 20th for a potluck holiday party. Please RSVP by December 14th at 802 L-U-V-P-A-R-T. Okay, that is an awesome invitation. (laughs) The only thing that could make it better would be if it was a white elephant party. (laughs) So if I've received an invitation like that, what do I do? (laughs) Very good question. You definitely want to, as a guest, RSVP yes or no. And now you can start filling in the gaps through the conversation. So, oh, I would love to come to the party. Just a heads up, I have this allergy. And so would it be all right if I brought a dish that met my needs? Or would you like me to bring a dish that meets my needs and can contribute to the party? Something like that would work absolutely well. As a host, when someone calls or texts to RSVP or they email, they respond, it's okay for you to now reach out with more details. Oh, that's wonderful. We're asking guests only if you feel that you're able to to bring a dish to the party. These are the different things that are still open and available. We need some salads. We need some desserts. Or... It's a, it's a secret Santa party. It's a white elephant party. It's a Yankee swap party, whatever you call it. <laughs> Keep those gifts under $10 because you might not get anything. Because <laughs> <laughs> you might not get anything. <laughs> so what if I'm not sure if I can attend? Oh, great question, cuz. So that's when you want to RSVP and say, hey, let me check my calendar. I can get back to you by XYZ date to find out. And this happens. Sometimes our travel plans aren't set yet. And you might say, hey, we would love to come. I'm still trying to lock down our travel plans for the season. So give me a few days. Or when do you need that RSVP by if a date hadn't been provided? As a etiquette expert advice columnist, I'm contractually obligated to remind people to RSVP yes or no and to not 
just fail to respond. The most difficult thing for any host to deal with on a guest list is a question mark that remains a question mark right up till the day of the event. Absolutely. You know, other important invitation reminders are that, um, for instance, BYOB is actually still a pretty popular idea. Bring your own beverage, we'll say. It can be any array. And it is also perfectly fine for you to leave with your beverage when you BYOB, just as an FYI. But you want to try to limit the number of contributions you're asking for people from. You don't want to have to say, well, it's BYOB, and could you please bring two dishes and a gift for the swap? It just starts to be, like, too much. You want to really try to keep the asks of your guests to a minimum. So BYOB, we've got the food taken care of. Or, you know, we've got the bar stocked, ready to go, but we're so excited for this potluck dinner. It just kind of helps people to feel like they aren't throwing the party for you. What if I don't have an ugly holiday sweater? Make something up, construction paper and tape. I thought you were going to say, oh, no, you have ugly holiday sweaters. I've seen. No, your wardrobe (laughs) is quite good. You actually don't. I would need to lean on Pooja to go and get you an ugly holiday sweater on purpose in order for you to end up with one. I feel like you're not quite that dad yet. You're not like in dad to wait till you have maybe I don't know what your plans are, but maybe a few more kids in the works. Like then you can end up being being that dad. (laughs) Noted for holidays future. Thank you for this help with invitations. I can feel them starting to come, and it's a good reminder for me. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a salute from David. Greetings, awesome etiquette team. Happy upcoming holiday season to you all. I have a better late than never etiquette salute. We love that kind of salute. Back in June, I went for a lunchtime run in a nearby park. As I went to the park, I noticed a couple of school buses from a rural school district, specifically the middle school from Cincinnati, New York. They were having a field trip and picnic. I started my run by taking a path by the river. As I looked up, I noticed a horde of middle school students coming the other way. They moved to their right, and a couple of them imitated my running. As an aside, I am way older than them. (laughs) As we passed, a student high-fived me, and then they all started doing the same. It completely made my day. Such fun and friendly young people. Of course, I had to call the school district to compliment them on their well-mannered young people. Five months later, I still smile about it. That's awesome salute. (laughs) I'm just picturing the scene as you're running down the the path, high-five after high-five. Is Oh, I love it. It reminds me of my friend told me about High Five Friday, where you can just walk down the street on Friday and high five anyone and they'll pass it on. I love that idea of passing on good feelings. And I certainly feel like David has passed that on to us. Thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us your next question, comment, or salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text message at 802-858-KIND. Program it into your phone. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and The Emily Post Institute. Please consider helping us out by becoming a sustaining member by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. 
You can also subscribe to our ads version of the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. And our show is edited by Chris Albertine. And our assistant producer is Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Chris and Bridget. Thanks. Thanks.